0: Welcome to Let's Talk About Grief with your host, Addie Anderson. While death and loss are subjects that nobody likes to discuss, you need to prepare for it and deal with it effectively. On our program, we talk to professionals as well as friends and family members who have lost loved ones to help you help others and understand the grief process. Now, here is Addie Anderson.
1: Hi everyone, I am Addie Anderson and I want to welcome you to this episode of Let's Talk About Grief. Each week, this is where we come together to talk about all things related to grief, death and dying and today is no different. My guest today is Lois Hall. Lois lives in Westerville, Ohio. She earned two bachelor degrees from Bowling Green State University, one in biology and the other in education. Lois received her master's degree in preventive medicine from the Ohio State University College of Medicine. Professionally, she's enjoyed a long and exciting career in public health at the Ohio Department of Health and then with the Ohio Public Health Association. It was her work in public health that led her to the grief recovery method. In 1998, she trained and was certified by John James, one of the founders of the Grief Recovery Institute. Lois strongly believes that unresolved grief is a major and largely unaddressed public health issue. Today, she works today, she works to bridge her love of public health and the grief recovery method to make a difference one life at a time. Lois provides both group and one-on-one grief recovery support group programs, as well as the six-session program for When Children Grieve. You can find out more about her work at www.griefrecoverymethod.com slash grms slash Lois-Hall. Hi, Lois, and welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Addie. Thank you for inviting me to be here. Oh, absolutely. And I am looking forward to what you will share with us today about the grief recovery method, which is the title of the show. I will also start by telling everyone that I am also a grief recovery specialist, but Lois has been doing this work for a long time. So, you know, you have a lot of wisdom to share and I am so excited to hear it. And so, uh, why don't we just jump right in? And you can get started by letting us know and the listeners know exactly what is the grief recovery method. Sure, gladly. There are a lot of grief programs out there.
2: Um, churches offer them, funeral homes offer them, hospices offer them, and so there are a lot of grief programs, grief support groups uh, for, for folks going through a variety of losses, mostly death. The grief recovery method is a little bit different in that it really addresses all kinds of loss, not just death but divorce, pet loss, Moving, loss of hopes and dreams and expectations. And I think one of the hallmarks of how this program um, works and why it's different is that the subtitle to the book is The Action Program for Moving Beyond Death, Divorce, and Other Losses. A lot of the other programs that people attend, they're all fine and wonderful. I don't mean to dismiss any of them, of them but a lot of the mm-hmm. other programs, you really pretty much just have somebody tell you things about grief, various aspects of the grieving process. With this program, there's actually homework. Everyone who participates has the has the chance and the opportunity to to take some actions, to take some steps, to help in their healing and in their recovery. Um, So first we start talking about some of the old tools that we've learned growing up about how to deal with grief. We talk about whether or not those were helpful for us, if they they helped us, if they felt good when somebody said certain things or if it actually was more hurtful. And then Mm -hmm. we move from talking about those old tools to presenting some new tools, some new tools that we can teach people, so that they can learn how to deal with, with the grief that they have today, grief that they've experienced in the past, and even grief that they have yet to experience in the future. Because bad news is, there's always more
1: grief coming. That's true. That's true. As long as we live, we know that there will be grievers. And so, um, how did you get involved in, in the grief recovery method? I mentioned a little bit about that in your bio. But, yeah. you know, did, did, did some type of loss get you there or how did you get involved?
2: Yeah. Well, I originally um, came to the grief recovery method through my work at the Ohio Department of Health. I uh, began there in 1978, and in 1981, a new mysterious disease came upon the scene, which turned out down the road to be called AIDS, HIV mm-hmm. and AIDS. And in mm-hmm. those early days, you know, we were for those of you who are old enough to remember, we were scurrying around trying to figure out what caused it, how was it transmitted, how could you treat it, and and it was it was a scary and a frenetic time. And everybody was doing all they could to, to, to try and find out those things and to help the, the young men at that time. Now we know it can be men and women. But mm-hmm. they were, you know we were doing what we could to try and help those young men um, deal with their disease, right? But, yes. but nothing was happening for their families. And I just remember even as a young public health professional being so struck with the fact that there was grief here. Those moms and dads, you know, uh, had to deal with the fact uh, that their that their child was dying, and mm-hmm. it wasn't a pretty death. <clears throat> and often, most of the time in the early days, they also had to deal with the realization that their son was gay. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of another loss, too, the loss of the hope and dream and expectation of what that what that child's life will be like. And mm-hmm. so it was it was you know, everybody was doing what they could scientifically and medically about the disease. But there wasn't much happening to help the families, the parents, the caregivers, the lovers, the partners, the siblings deal with the grief they had. So Mm -hmm. um, I started looking around to see what we could do to help with that aspect of the disease. And a friend of mine from church whose son had completed suicide um, told me about John James, Mm
0: -hmm. the author
2: and the founder of the Grief Recovery Method. And he happened to be doing a national talk for compassionate friends here in the Columbus, Ohio area. And mm-hmm. so I snuck over on my lunch hour and heard him do that talk, and I was just taken. He said exactly the things that I was looking for. And so uh, after his presentation at that conference, I got in touch with him and had him come back and do workshops for nurses and doctors and clergy and social workers and just about anybody who would listen. Um, mm-hmm. And so at one point, uh, John said, "You know, I'm not coming back here to do another talk till you get trained to do this." So in 1998. I was a slow learner. In 1998, (laughs) I took that training, and I've been doing community grief recovery groups since then. And then in 2001, they invited me to be a trainer for them, a national trainer. Mm -hmm. And in 2016, um, they had me come on board to do some additional work in the area of quality assurance and research and uh, some additional training activities. So Mm -hmm. it's been a a long, long time, and I have loved every single piece of it. it. It sounds weird to say, but I just really enjoy working with grief recovery and helping grievers realize that there is hope for their grief.
1: Yeah, I could certainly hear your passion. And the way you described it, you just jumped in, you know, with both feet. Once you heard John talk about the grief recovery method, it was like, you know, there was nothing that you'd heard previous to that time that kind of led you to find something to work with the grievers that you were dealing with, uh, with the young men dying of AIDS.
2: Absolutely. And you know, I tell people too, it is a profound program. The healing that I have seen come, um, in, in individuals from whatever the loss was that brought them. The the healing that I have seen is profound, but the program itself is so simple. It's simple. It's, it's, it's easy to do. I mean, there are some emotional tough spots that, that folks have Mm -hmm. to go through, but it is such, such an easy program to provide at the community level. Um, and and the results are just profound, as I'm sure you've seen in, in the people that you've worked with as well.
1: Absolutely. And before we get into more details about the program itself, why don't you just kind of back up a little bit and talk about and let us know, you know, your definition of grief. Like when you talk about grief, what are what are you saying? What is grief?
2: And that's a good question, too, because a lot of people think grief is just about something that happens when somebody we love has died, that we grieve their loss. And certainly that's true. Death is probably the the most common thing that people think about uh, that brings us grief. But in the grief recovery method, the actual definition right out of the book is that grief is the normal and natural response to change or loss of any kind. And that's a pretty simple definition. It doesn't take long to say it. But the key mm-hmm. words are that it's normal and natural. Grief is a normal and natural thing. You mentioned earlier, all of us are grievers. My career was in a, as an epidemiologist, the person who does numbers, right? And I can tell you that one out of so many will get cancer and one out of so many will get AIDS and one of so many will get diabetes.
0: But mm-hmm. grief
2: is 100% of us. So, so truly, it is an epidemic. 100% of us have experienced grief around mm. some issue. It's normal and it's natural, and we all experience. Mm-hmm. And then the normal and natural reaction or response to change or loss of any kind. And so, again, it's death is the one that comes most often to people's minds, but there are mm-hmm. many other things that cause us to grieve, especially mm-hmm. when you think about the ideas of change and loss. So, mm-hmm. um, divorce certainly is another area where there's change. We change our relationship with that person to whom we've been married. Moving could be a reason for grieving. You know, when you have lived in a house for 50 years and all of a sudden you're You're forced to move or need to move or even have the opportunity to move.
0: Grief Mm -hmm. can also
2: be about good things. Maybe I got a promotion and we're moving to another city and we're going to get a better job and a better house. But I still have an attachment and a relationship to the house where I've lived okay mm-hmm. um, retirement is another is another time when people grieve I've often said I think there ought to be a program called job hospice for when you know you're <laughs> about six months from retirement because yes. as, you know, we look forward to it we can't wait to retire um, but when that happens it's like well who am I going to be now what will I do mm-hmm. with my time what, what will I do who will I be how will I live financially it brings a change we don't work in the same place we don't see the same people we don't do the same things, and so grief could be could be all of those things and more. Graduation is another time for grief. Going off to college, um, mm-hmm. it could be financial losses. It could be health losses. It could be just relationships that are estranged. You know, mm-hmm. children who have grown up and grown away from their parents, or friendships that have that have uh, uh, been changed over over the course of time. So mm-hmm. when you think about all of those things, no wonder that 100% of us experience grief. We've all experienced something on that list. And then there's a whole other component of things that are kind of intangible things, the loss of hopes and dreams and expectations. Okay? Mm-hmm. We don't think yes. often about that. But when I was, a, when I was a, a kid in school, I wanted to be a doctor. I had the hope and dream and expectation of being a physician. And that mm-hmm. didn't happen. And so the loss of that dream, the loss of that hope, was a grieving situation for me. Um, and then there are other intangible aspects like safety and trust, um, and respect. You know, when 911 happened, tomorrow is the anniversary, right? Most yes. of us were not in New York or in Washington or in Pennsylvania where the plane went down. But I would dare to say that all of us who were alive on 911 mm-hmm. 2001 grieved the loss of our sense of safety as an American, Mm -hmm. perhaps Mm -hmm. the loss of sense of security, Things mm-hmm. were different that day, weren't they? And so okay. we grieved as a nation on nine one one. It was a mm-hmm. corporate kind of grief for the loss of our safety, our, our our normal of what being in the United States was all about. And so grief is just it, it I mean no wonder it's overwhelming, because we all have experienced a variety of these kinds of losses virtually from the time we're born until today. And so when the next loss happens, maybe it's your father dies or a child dies dies or a spouse dies uh, or a pet, you know, whenever the next loss happens, it just, it has to come inside our heart where all of these other losses have been stored up since childhood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. grief is, uh, is, is just, it's almost overwhelming. And I think that's how many people would describe it. It's just overwhelming when they put all of those things together in one grief package.
1: I agree with that. And how might someone know that they are experiencing grief? Because all the losses that you just talked about, I've seen in my office, but that's not generally the reason they come in, right? So once you start talking with someone and you take an assessment of what's happening, it's not identified as grief. It's something different. I'm I'm feeling depressed. I'm sad or whatever. So how might people know that they are experiencing grief? Exactly. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit um, radical, I suppose,
2: but John James, the, the founder of the program, says that all of those other words we use, whether it's depression or it's PTSD or it's stress or it's anxiety, those are just other words for grief. That if you come mm-hmm. down to it, the root of all of those issues is some loss. You know whether it's a tangible loss like a person or a tangible loss like moving from a house or one of those intangible losses we talked about. You know the the hopes and dreams and expectations, the safety, the trust, the respect, etc. And so, so yes, you're absolutely right. People will think, well, I'm depressed or I have anxiety or I have post traumatic stress or or I'm just under stressed or I'm a basket case. And so those really might be. And and again, there may be other clinical sources of of depression and clinical reasons for people to have these these kind of symptoms, but in many, many cases, it's just that normal and natural response to the change and loss that has built up in us over all these years. And so some of the signs might be just a a lack of energy, um, kind of a numbness, not being able to focus, um, wanting to sleep more than usual, or wanting to eat more than usual, or drink more than usual, or any of a host of other things. Um, We just don't quite feel on top of the game like we usually do. We've kind of lost our edge, um, and maybe we isolate or we pull away from other people. We We just don't even want to go out. And so, mm-hmm. all of those might be things that, um, that someone would be experiencing. Um, maybe they're kind of off their game at work, or maybe they're missing work more than usual. Um, they might think that they're ill or sick or have some physical complications, so they may go to the doctor to try and, and see if there's something physically wrong with them. But again, I would hazard to say that if that physician had the time to talk with them about what was going on in their life, both at mm-hmm. home and at work, um, they would would probably find at least one and perhaps a list of several things that could be described or fall into that category of grief.
1: I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. And so we're coming up on our first break. And so before we get into something more, let's just stop right here. And when we come back, I'd like for you to talk to us about some of the myths about grief. So uh, you can find Lois at uh, the grief slash grms slash lois hall please follow me on Twitter at begin within addie also like my Facebook page at begin within counseling services and leave me a post please and let me know your thoughts about the show my website is therapyoakpark.net so pleased to have you listening and we'll be right back okay,
0: It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well being. Call Addie Anderson at 708 870 6255 to schedule a consultation. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit therapyoakpark.net. That's therapyoakpark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief.
1: Welcome back, everyone. I'm talking today to Lois Hall, and the title of our show is The Grief Recovery Method, and she's telling us all about what that is, what it entails. So before we went on break, I asked Lois to talk about myths about grief. So why don't we start there, Lois? What are some of the myths that about grief?
2: Excellent. One of the reasons I think the program uh, really touches folks so well and so easily is that it was written by a griever. It was written by John James, who was a dad, and he lost a baby three days after that baby was born. And as he looked back and reflected on that, he realized that there were a lot of things that people had told him at the time of that loss and other losses that really weren't very helpful. And so he refers to those in the book as myths about grief, myths or misinformation. And and these are things, when, when I tell you what they are, you'll probably go, oh, my gosh, people said those same things to me, and it just didn't help. Or maybe you'll say, oh, my gosh, I've said that to people, too, Hmm, I thought it helped, but maybe it doesn't. And so the Mm -hmm. first one of those things that he noted that he heard as a griever many times from many sources was, don't feel bad. People would start, and maybe you've heard this, oh, don't feel bad, Addie. You know, your mother was 82, and she lived a long life. Well, that's intellectually true. She lived till 82, and it was a long life. But starting that sentence with don't feel bad is a myth you can't unfeel something you feel and to have Mm -hmm. somebody say to you don't feel that way just dismisses and demeans how you're feeling, and it Mm -hmm. tends to shut people down. We say it all the time. Oh, don't feel bad. Um, You're young. You can have more children. That was the story in John's case as well. He and his wife were young. Don't feel bad. You're young. You can have more children. Intellectually true, emotionally not helpful. We're in the football season, right? You even hear it there. Don't feel bad. We'll get them next time. Right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so that little don't feel bad phrase is just insidious in our, in our world. And we say it all the time and people say it to us. And when they say it to us, our heart goes, but I do feel bad. And so we probably will be less likely to talk to them next time. We'll shut down. We won't communicate because our feelings have been dismissed. Mm-hmm. The next thing that often is, is said is, well, just get another one. You know, and, it, and maybe it's as easy as that. I remember when our sons were little, they loved matchbox cars. And when one of those little matchbox cars would roll under the refrigerator where daylight never goes and neither will I, it was easy <laughs> as a young mom to say, don't feel bad, honey. We'll get you another matchbox car on Saturday when we go to the store. In John's case, when his baby died, people right after that don't feel bad, right? Their phrase Mm -hmm. was, you're young, you can have more children. And so this idea of replacing the loss, or when young people have that first crush, that first boyfriend, girlfriend, partner crush, you know, and that doesn't work out, people say, well, don't feel bad, there are more fish in the sea, Always mm-hmm. with this idea that, that that's the way to solve grief is we'll just get another one. And to some extent, that might work with a matchbox car. That might work with we'll get them next time with the game. But when mm-hmm. it's your baby or when it's your parent or when it's a person, you can't mm-hmm. just get another one. Even that's if true. if it's a, a divorce situation and somebody says, well, you need to get back out there and you know do some dating and you need to get remarried, that next marriage, that next person isn't going to be the same person that the first person was. Mm -hmm. And so so this replace the loss idea is a myth. That doesn't really help us in getting over the grief of losing whatever that, that first loss was. Another myth is grieve alone. Well, just let her be. She'll be. She'll, she needs to grieve. Just let her be. I don't know if you've ever had the experience in a, in a workplace where somebody mm-hmm. comes back from from their their bereavement leave. It's their first day back at the office, and all too often. They are just absolutely isolated. People don't walk up and talk to them. They don't even walk by their cubicle because they don't know what to say. So let's just leave mm-hmm. her alone, you know, and let's just leave her alone and she'll be okay. Um, mm-hmm. Or or I've even, again, before I knew much about grief recovery, when one of my children would be upset, right, and starting to mm-hmm. cry, what do we say? Look, if you're going to cry, go to your room. Go to your room, so room. You can cry yes. by yourself. And so we tell people, we teach people, that we think grieving alone is, is a way to solve grief, but it doesn't. Grievers need to be, to be in community. They need to have people to listen to them and, yeah. and to be around them. Another myth is it just takes time. Well, how long does it take to get over a loss? It just takes time. Or even worse still, you'll never get over it. And those kinds of things also don't bring us any hope. Well, how long does it take? Is it a year? Is it two years? Is it six months? How long does it take? Am I done yet? When will I be finished with my grief? That's a myth, too, that there's some sort of of specific time uh, element to grieving. Mm -hmm. Another one, and you'll love this, is just be strong for others. Well, you know... Boy, you know, son, your, your daddy has died, and so you got to be strong for your mom now. you got to be strong for your brothers and sisters. Be mm-hmm. strong for. We can't be strong for somebody else. If there was a 50-gallon bucket sitting out here, and I wanted you to pick it up, Addie, I might say, come on, Addie, pick it up. I'm being strong for you. I'm being strong for you. It doesn't mm-hmm. help, right? We cannot right. physically or emotionally be strong for somebody else. We need to get in there and help them through their loss. And so this idea of being strong, We've, uh, you, you probably, many of you will remember Jackie Kennedy, when John Kennedy died, and she stood by that casket so stoically, right? Mm, and yes. she was being strong. Everybody complimented her on how strong she was. When John mm-hmm. McCain's daughter gave her comments and she cried, right? The media yes. sometimes would even describe that as she lost it. She went to pieces. And so we have this image, this idea that being strong is a way to survive our grief. And that doesn't work either. When we're being strong for each other, we're not being honest with each other. And if we're not being honest with each other, then that just perpetuates also the isolation. The last uh, major myth that they talk about is the idea of keeping busy. Well, you Mm -hmm. know, now that such and such has happened, you just need to keep busy. You need to pour yourself into your work, or you need to get some hobbies, or you need to join this group or that group or this club. Keep busy. It's kind of the opposite of the grieve alone myth. You know, the Grieve Alone one says take some time and be by yourself. The Keep Busy myth says get out there and, you know, pretend like you're, mm-hmm. like you're enjoying things and like you're being a part of the world. And so these six things are what the book describes as the main myths or misinformation around grief. And I would hazard to say that all of us have probably heard several of these, and many of us perhaps may have even said several of these things to grievers. But if you think back about it, they really aren't emotionally helpful. So they are mm-hmm. the, the myths that most of us have grown up with thinking about how we should deal with our grief.
1: That's so true. And so the book also talks about what's called what they call sturbs. So explain to us what sturbs are and how do they manifest in people's lives?
2: Absolutely. Sturb S T E R B stands for short-term Energy relieving behavior, short-term energy relieving behavior. Um, the thought behind STURBs are that when we're grieving, we have all of this energy in us that wants to tell our story. This energy that needs to 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 grieve, the energy that just needs to grieve. And yet, and still, when people tell us, "Don't feel bad. Just get another one. Be strong for others. Suck it up. Pull up. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Don't cry." all those things that it's like putting a cork in a tea kettle and it causes all of that energy to just continue to be swirling around down in our little gut or in our little heart. That Mm -hmm. energy is down there. And our body knows that it needs to do something to relieve that energy. But if the cork is in our throat and we can't talk about it, then the, the, the release of this energy comes in other ways. And so you may have heard as a child, here, eat something, you'll feel better right? Mm -hmm. And so food is one of the first short-term energy-relieving behaviors that many of us are exposed to as children. Here, have a cookie and milk, you'll feel better. And the truth is that indeed you do feel different eating Mm -hmm. the cookie and having the milk, but it doesn't last very long. And then you need more cookies and milk and you need it more often. And so food becomes a habit for dealing with our grief. Um, I don't know where 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 you are, Addie, but you know when people grieve in in Ohio, and people bring casseroles to the house, they all yes. bring cheesy potatoes. Nobody mm-hmm. brings a fruit you know platter. Nobody brings the veggie right. platters. It's all those rich, um, rich foods. Those are called mm-hmm. comfort foods, aren't they? So we've even got yes. phrases in our language. Um, one of the one of the fast food. Uh, restaurant corporations, you know, think about what they call their kids' meals. They're called happy meals. And so we mm-hmm. begin to associate food as a short-term energy-relieving behavior. Another mm-hmm. one that comes very quickly after food, usually at about middle school or high school age, is alcohol. You know, when you go mm-hmm. to the bar on Friday night and the drinks are half price, they call it happy hour. And so, mm-hmm. again, these these substances numb our feelings. They make us feel different, perhaps better, but short-term, and then we need more of them and we need them more often. So other short-term energy-relieving behaviors could be things like drugs, whether they're prescribed drugs or they're street drugs. It could be tobacco. You know, a lot of people smoke when they're under stress. Um, Other short-term energy-relieving behaviors that aren't related to substances like food or alcohol or drugs or tobacco could be cleaning your house. This isn't one of mine, but some people mm-hmm. tell me that when they're under a lot of stress, they just feel the need to clean. They've got to clean out the cupboards and organize the closets. They just feel a need to clean. And that makes sense. If life is messy, that your, that your body knows that i just I got I to gotta clean up something. And if I can't clean up what I've been grieving about, I can at least clean out the closets and organize the cupboards. Um, I've heard people tell me that exercise was a STIRB for them, short-term mm-hmm. energy-relieving behavior, that if they can just get out and run, you know, that it releases some of that energy. And, again, not one of mine, but people tell me, too, that as you do that, it releases certain endorphins, right? And you mm-hmm. get a yes. runner's high. And so these short-term energy-relieving behaviors can really be anything that we do to to distract our minds and our hearts from the things that are causing our grief. And and they make us feel better short-term, but then we need them more, and we need them more often. And then they become a habit. It could be gambling. It could be pornography. It could be the Internet. For for younger people, it could be cutting, um, you know, running away, driving risky. I mean, these STIRBs, these short-term energy-relieving behaviors, uh, there's such a long list. And we mm-hmm. all have something that's kind of our default mechanism that we fall back on when we're mm-hmm. under stress. For me, it's food and it's sleep. Sleep can be a stirb, you know, mm-hmm. and so they're, they're very deceptive. Not, again, that they're all bad things, right? It's yes. not bad to have a glass of wine with dinner or it's mm-hmm. not bad to do exercise or it's not bad to sleep. But if you find yourself doing these things more often for longer periods of time, and to avoid thinking about or 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 being with your grief, then you might want to think: Is this is this activity becoming a stirb, a short-term energy relieving behavior, and is it really something that I want to continue to engage in, or do I want to address the grief that brings me to it?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. That. I, I you just described that <laughs> so perfectly. You know, it's like taking these behaviors that are normal, that we do a lot all way, you know, all, already most of the time. It's not unusual for people to exercise. It's not unusual for you to clean your house or, or have a glass of wine at dinner. But when you take it to the extreme and when it becomes yes. a habit and it's no longer mm-hmm. healthy for you, then that is, it's okay. turned into a stir. So I totally get that. Exactly. Exactly. And grievers will come to you. I'm sure they do, Addie, in your practice.
2: They'll come to you and they'll say, you know, I quit smoking 15 years ago. Since my dad died, I've gone back to smoking. I don't know why that is, right? Mm-hmm. Or I've yes. on 30 pounds since my husband died. Well, that's a good indication. If it's a habit or a behavior that you broke years ago, and all of a sudden, after this loss, you've you've gone back to smoking or you've gone back to drinking or you've gone back to gambling or that's putting on 30 pounds, you've gone back to food. That's a good sign, you know, that the fact that it was kind of paired up or matched up at the time of this loss, that this is a stirb. It's not just one of those okay behaviors anymore. It's become Mm -hmm. a stirb. They're like our default mechanism for dealing with grief. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, earlier you talked about, uh, I think you were talking about the myths, and you gave an example of when someone might return to work and they become isolated because no one knows how to go up and, and talk to them or what to mm-hmm. say. So what what is the best way to communicate with someone who is grieving? Like, give us some ideas on oh, what are some of the okay things to say. Yeah,
2: absolutely. 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 And, you know, we have 911, right? If there's an emergency, we know to dial 911. If somebody is choking, we can do the Heimlich Maneuver. If somebody appears to be having a heart attack, we know a little bit about CPR. So we have all kinds of things that we can do to respond to physical um, ailments or situations. But when it comes to grief, we don't even know what to say. There is no 911 for grief. And so what I usually encourage people is, is not to first of all not to say those six things that are the myths because they're not Mm -hmm. helpful try to think before you speak and if what you're going to say sounds like it's giving them some kind of advice they probably don't need that either okay um Mm -hmm. grievers don't need to be fixed they just need to be heard and so letting somebody know that you're there for them, that, you know, you'd like to go to have a, have lunch with them or have coffee with them, um, you know, letting them know that you're there for them. The other thing that I tell people is tell them your truth. I went, uh, to a funeral visitation, for example, for, for a man who I had worked with for a lot of years at the Ohio Department of Health, and I didn't know his wife at all. So when I went through the line to talk with her, I started out by saying, you know, I worked with your husband for many years. You don't know me at all, but I just want you to know he was so special to me. When I was a new kid on the block at, at work, he was nice to me. He showed me where the microwave was in the kitchen, right? Mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. started to cry and she shook my hand. Oh, that's just the kind of guy he was. Oh, he loved to help young people. And so that was a much more effective thing to say because it was my truth. And when somebody dies, you know, she's looking for all the little puzzle pieces of his life that she might not have known. And so just telling your truth, if it's somebody who's come back to work after a loss, you might say to a co-worker, let's say you didn't even know their husband or their family member who died, you know, Addie, I didn't know your mom, but you know, from the pictures I've seen on your desk, she looks like a lovely woman. Or, you know, Addie, I didn't know your mom, but from what I've heard you tell about her, She was just the the salt of the earth. She was somebody who really made a big impact on your life. I wish I'd known her. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be much more helpful to that grieving person than to say, well, you know, don't feel bad. Your mom was 82 and you had her for a long time. And Mm -hmm. so think about what, first of all, what you shouldn't say, but then think Mm -hmm. about what is your truth. I didn't know your husband, but here's what I liked about him. Or mm-hmm. from the pictures I've seen or the stories you've told, here's what I knew about your person, your mom, your child, your whoever. And, oh, here's how they seem to, to have enhanced your life. Now, if it's a less than loved one, maybe it's a mother that wasn't so kind and gentle and loving. You might say, you know, I don't know. I didn't know your mom. I didn't know much about her. But, you know, whatever the challenges were in your life, I'm so glad she gave us you. I'm so glad that you're here. Let me know if there's something I can do to help you. So Mm. think about what's true. What's true for you? That you can mm-hmm. say to that person that lets them know that, that you're there for them, that you understand the loss that they've gone through. The other thing is you might ask a question and just ask them, or, you know, let's say it was a, a, a child who died. Oh, what's mm. your best memory of your child? Tell me, tell me what made Micah special to you. Tell me mm. what, what was your first, uh, your first experience of taking Micah to church or Micah to the park. All right. People want to tell their stories. And, mm-hmm. and while it sounds like, oh, my gosh, you want me to ask them questions about the person who died, they want to tell stories about the person who died. So think of something easy, something simple. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need to ask about, you know, how did the accident happen or was he, you know, was he decapitated at the scene? Mm-hmm. Ask them mm-hmm. something from further back in the life, some other piece of the story that you might not know that would yeah. be helpful for them to share.
1: Thank you. That makes a whole lot of sense. And I like the way you describe it, you know, when you say speak your truth, because you're coming from a place of genuineness when you when you do that. And you're not, like you said just a minute ago, prying into, you know, the business or whatever of the person that died. So we're going to we're going to we're on up at our second break already. Time is flying. Uh -uh. So we're going to we're going to take a break right here. And uh, we come back, we'll continue our discussion. But you can find Lois at thegriefrecoverymethod.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Begin with Addy and like my Facebook page at Begin within Counseling Services and please leave me a post. All right. Thanks for listening again and we'll be right back.
0: Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit therapyoakpark.net. That's therapyoakpark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief.
1: Hi, this is Addie. Anderson, and uh, I am talking today with Lois Hall, and we're talking about the grief recovery method. We're back from break, and what I will ask Lois to talk to us about now is about the grief re- grief recovery method and and how it works with children in grief. So why don't you let us know about that, Lois? Good, Thank you, Addie. The Grief Recovery Method, the Grief Recovery Institute,
2: does not have a grief recovery program for children per se. And the reason for that is that children are the product of their environment. They are the product of their growing up story and their family and their church and their school. And so, if we were to do a grief recovery program for children, and we sent them home to mom and dad, and let's say it's uh, uh, you know Susie who's thirteen, and she goes home and she says, "Well, mom, Miss Lois says I should." Mom is going to go. You know what? You don't live in Miss Lois's house. You live in my house. Mm -hmm. And so, we believe that the best thing we can do is to help educate parents, teachers, counselors, youth pastors, coaches, grandparents. People who live with and work with children so that that environment that they live in is better prepared to deal with grief. So we don't really do grief recovery, per se, with children. But there is Mm -hmm. a second program that that our organization offers, and it's called When Children Grieve, Helping Children Deal with Loss. And again, that program is a six-session program, and it's for adults to help the children in their life because we believe those children are like sponges. They watch the parents and the teachers and the clergy and the youth pastors and the coaches and they learn to grieve by how those adults show their grief. And so the program that we do is called Helping Children Deal with Loss based on the book When Children Grieve and it teaches those adults how to how to do better at teaching their children about grief. And it's, it's a very effective program, very effective program and, and again, and one that all of us who are certified grief recovery specialists, we are able to do that program as well in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't go as deep as the as the grief recovery method program does for adults, but again, it helps parents help their own children or or children in their care with whatever the losses they may be experiencing in their lives.
1: Yeah, and when I hear you describe that, it reminds me of like you know when you're on an airplane and they. And the flight attendant will tell you that you need to, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself before you, um, you know, start to help your children. So it seems like the same concept in the grief recovery method when it comes to working with children. Exactly
2: right. I heard somebody recently say children are like sponges, but they will soak up water. Or milk or poison, okay? And, and yes. it's the same sort of thing with, with grief. Children are like sponges. And if, you know, how they see their parents grieving or how they hear their pastors or their teachers, teachers talking about grief, that's what they're going to soak up. And so we want to teach those adults how to help them soak up the, the good things rather than perpetuating all of those myths and misinformation and stirbs um, that they might have otherwise passed on to their children.
1: I see. Now, you know, uh, I, I would imagine that everybody listening has heard in the news or know someone who has been addicted to, say, opioids. It's like a, a huge public health issue that's facing our country today. So when it, when it comes to the grief recovery method... Um, is is that something you can use this method with in dealing with drug addiction and, and even specifically the opioid addictions?
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and I would say that on two fronts. First of all, for those who have lost loved ones to this addiction, whether they have lost them to death due to an addiction or they have lost them to the estrangement or the the, the loss of hopes and dreams and expectations for their loved one who is addicted. Absolutely. The grief recovery method can help us deal with those feelings, um, the response to the loss of those persons uh, in, in that regard. So again, public health. Thank you for mentioning that phrase. So, you know, in, in public health, we talk about treatment and we talk about, prevention. And so you can treat cancer or you can prevent cancer. And so in, in the, the example that I just gave, when someone has died or someone is already using drugs or using alcohol or whatever the substance is, you know, we have the grief recovery program can help them deal with the loss as a result of that addiction. But I really believe that a lot of times we talked about stirs, right? I really yes. believe that if we can get to people, Earlier, and we can talk to them about the grief recovery method and we can give them these new tools. They may realize that the things they're doing, whatever their addiction is, the thing they're doing may be related to some underlying grief. And so, my hope and expectation, where my excitement is these days, is that yes, the grief recovery method is an easily accessible community based intervention that we should be able to use in communities to help people understand what is it they're grieving. And can we give them healthier ways to deal with that rather than drinking something, taking something, snorting something, shooting up something, right? And so I really believe that the grief recovery method has has a role to play both in in the treatment of the grief of people who have lost loved ones to the epidemic, but also Mm -hmm. perhaps in, in preventing future deaths and losses. If we could get people to realize that what they're experiencing is really grief Maybe they wouldn't need those substances or they wouldn't need them so often. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, but again, we got to get there early. And that's, again, why I thank you for following this question after talking to children. You know, the more we can help our children and our young people realize and identify what their grief, what their loss is, and we can give them new tools to deal with that, perhaps they won't need to turn to those substances. Perhaps mm-hmm. they'll, they'll know that they've got adults in their life who are there to help them through these circumstances and help them make other choices or get them to other kinds of, of uh, you know, treatment options or community resources so that, so that we may be able to actually reduce the need for and the use of these addictive substances.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I believe that when people choose to overindulge in these substances, whether it be opioids or alcohol or cannabis or whatever it might be, that you're generally trying to stuff feelings or you're trying to avoid something. And, you know, it's just something that you're trying exactly. to mask. You're masking something. Exactly. And, to, and to find exactly. out and, and, what you're masking.
2: It. It takes us right back to those sturbs, short term energy relieving behaviors. We feel different when we have taken that drug. We feel different for a short time, but then we need it more often and we need it in higher doses. And and that's what that's what lures us in. And now at least in Ohio where we are, you know, the drugs are being cut with many more dangerous things like fentanyl and carfentanyl and so, you know, it, it may only take once. Um, and it's a deadly dose. And so so you're absolutely right. That, that that need to mask or to deal with this grief-related energy um, mm-hmm. can really be deadly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so uh, what, what is the right time that you would say is to begin the grief recovery method? When would you start the yeah, that's a great question,
2: too. Is it ever too soon? Is it ever too soon or is it ever too late to start the grief recovery program? And the answer to both of those questions is no. Uh, it's always the right time. Um, if someone has died, for example, you you wouldn't want to start, you know, two days after the funeral probably. Um, you'd, you'd need a little bit of time for kind of the busyness to, to subside. Um, but one of the examples we use is if you cut your hand, right? And you see that it's bleeding. How long do you wait to put a Band-Aid on it? It's the same sort of thing. If your heart is bleeding, how long do you wait before you seek some treatment? And so, you know, there's got to be a period of time where you kind of watch it and say, oh, that's that's pretty bloody. I better put a Band-Aid on it. Same kind of thing with your heart, you know, a, a, a couple of weeks. It's not unusual for people within the first week or so to to be thinking back about the memories of the person and their their memory pictures are the most accurate at that time. And Mm -hmm. so really about as soon as the numbness wears off from the shock of the loss or the busyness has subsided, because you know, it's it's unfortunate, isn't it? But when someone dies, those those first weeks are so busy taking care of all the paperwork and the visitors from out of town and returning the casseroles. So about as soon as the numbness wears off and the busyness subsides uh, is, a, is a good time to start looking for your grief recovery specialist. Likewise, if it's been 10 years, 12 years, 20 years, I've had people who have come to my grief recovery classes who said, you know, my mom died when I was 12. 20, 30 years ago, and I've just never been able to get over it. Or I've had trouble having relationships with my stepmother or with other women. And I think it's related to the fact that my mom died when I was 12. And so it's it's almost really never too early, and it's certainly never too late, because Mm -hmm. you can always learn these new tools to help heal even decades-old Grief situations.
1: Mm, okay. And so, you know, when someone, when it takes that long, that's that long of a span of time for someone to show up um, looking for help with their grief, would you consider that to be unresolved grief? <sighs>
2: yes uh, if they haven't taken any steps to resolve it um, absolutely and you know sometimes even if they have taken steps to resolve it there there may be more buried even deeper one of the other examples we use in the grief recovery program is like going through these steps using these tools is like peeling layers off of an onion so you know they may have have gone to therapy they may have talked with their pastor they may have read some books they may have done some journaling they may have, have, have talked with their pastor you know and so they may have taken some steps and they may have peeled off some layers of the onion of their grief but um, many times there are still other layers left below um, that this program really the tools are are intended. To help us as as much as possible, get to the heart of the issue, and so uh, the grief recovery program, whether you're whether it's the first thing you've tried or it's the second or fourth or fifth thing you've tried, um, is very likely to help people identify some still unresolved grief, um, and and to bring that up and deal with it and polish it off and uh, find some recovery there.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it's worth mentioning again that this program is very action oriented. You know, I think you yeah. mentioned that earlier that, you know, it's, it's different from what most people are used to in, in something that might be called, say, like a support group. Where you're going in and Correct. you're you know taking your turn to speak about certain issues this you come into this program and you are actively involved and I always uh in, you know say that people have to be dedicated to the process because you have to do these things in order to come out on the other side in a positive way.
2: Exactly. And,
1: and typically
2: the class is presented in seven sessions if it's one-on-one, eight sessions or 12 sessions if it's done in a group setting, and each class builds on the one before it. And so, you know, you what you learn in class one, you take into class two. What you learn in class four, you take into class five. And I think that's another reason why the process works too, because it's like a building block. You know, each step takes you to the next step. We don't just dump you in the deep end of the pool and have you go of this heart of the heart of the problem you know is a very step-by-step process carefully guided by trained grief recovery facilitators grief recovery specialists just like Addie, um you know and so it's it's a step-by-step process that helps you peel back those layers and and homework in each session that makes you look at think about talk about
1: um your own grief experience absolutely absolutely and so i want to thank you Thank you, thank you so much, Lois, for being on the show today. I mean, I just cannot um, really thank you enough for all the information that you've shared, because I know so many people have learned a lot about grief based on yeah. you know your words of wisdom and all the things and the experiences that you've had over the years that you've been able to share. So I want to thank you for that. And before we go, why don't you let people know the best way to contact you if they want more information? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, before we do that, I'd like to have them also know that on the Grief Recovery website, griefrecoverymethod.com, there is a place on there where you can click a box that says find help or find support. And if they mm-hmm. put in their zip code, because I know your program goes all over the country, if they mm-hmm. put in their zip code, it will come up with a list of people near them that they can call right there in their own community. We have thousands of people who are trained around the United States and the world um, mm-hmm. to, to do this program. So that would be my. First suggest is they find somebody right there in their own community or somebody who can do the work with them online. We have some online uh, professionals now. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, if you'd like to to be in touch with me, um, you can go to LHall at griefrecoverymethod.com and that's my email um, and so I would be glad to hear from folks if you think you might like to become a grief recovery specialist we do trainings around the country all throughout the year. Um, Addie is a wonderful example of somebody who's using her grief recovery training um, to, to again help people all over the country all over the world so the opportunities are, are there for you so I think that well, would be it you. how to get to people in your community and then my email address.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening. If you have a show idea, or would like to be a guest on my show. Please email me at letstalkgrief at gmail.com or call 708-870-6255. Be sure and listen next week when my guest will be Joan Cantwell, who will share with us how she expresses her grief through her art. Thanks again for listening and I hope you have a wonderful week.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Grief. Please join your host, Addie Anderson, again next Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, be there for a loved one who might need you this week.